Okay, so over the past three weeks, we've been using the book of Ecclesiastes to make sense of life. And instead of taking kind of a, a systematic approach, we've been taking a more thematic approach. So asking the question and then offering and exploring a particular response to it. So that has kicked us off week one. It was delightful. Our response could be to become jaded, cynical, depressed even, because everything we do with our time is a waste. No one is going to remember us. We live a very fragile existence. If you think about all the uncertainties we deal with in life every day, if you could think of all the accidental ways that you could kill yourself before you left for before you left to go to work in the morning, it would drive you mental. <laughs> we just live with uncertainty, don't we? You could get out of bed, fall in the shower, crack your head, fall down the stairs on the way to make a cup of tea, break your neck, or you could turn on the kitchen lights and blow up the house because you had a gas leak overnight. It's a true story that my neighbor did it and blow up the house. And then you do die. So it, it, it was very delightful. We too, Chris considered that we could try to find meaning in life by trying to gain knowledge, trying to really do something meaningful in our workplaces, to seek all the pleasures that the world can offer. And uh, looking around the room, there are enough of us who are of a certain age to testify that that approach, it doesn't work. Because the more you try to find out, the more you realize you don't know. And actually, as you seek pleasure, depending on what you've indulged in, there are all kinds of consequences from a simple hangover to the extreme of death. And if you put all of your eggs in a work basket, you will end up burnt out, stressed, and depressed, divorced, fatherless, childless, whatever it is. And I can testify to all of those things. Matt, fortunately, on week three, brought some sunshine. Yay! We could enjoy life and do it wisely. But where's the joy? Because it shows short-lived. Because as we start off with the joy of a sunny day, in Liverpool, it's going to end in rain. <laughs> if you start off with the joy of a sunny day in South Africa, by the afternoon, the sun is going to be so hot that you'd swear it's got a personal vendetta against you. <laughs> and you will run inside to seek shade. If your joy is in your appearance, let me tell you, gravity and time is going to wreak havoc with that. <laughs> If your joy is in your career, all you've got to look forward to is retirement. If your joy is in your children, for the one time they make you proud, they will let you down 99 times. <laughs> and everyone will disappoint you. Everyone you know. So where's the joy? And where's the wisdom? Where's the wisdom? Where's the line in the sand of this is the right wisdom and that's the right wisdom? And whose wisdom do I want? Because if I'm sick, do I go to the doctor, which is the world's wisdom, or do I listen to the preacher that I had on the radio say, please don't involve that med poor medical man in your trouble when you can ask your father to heal you? If I want financial wisdom, I want Ken. If I want wisdom on how to use a computer to generate a template for a game, I want size wisdom. If I want wisdom on how and which ale to buy, I want Pete's wisdom. <laughs> Where's the one-stop wisdom shop? So as we come to this final week in Ecclesiastes, I wonder if you've worked out the answer for yourself. 
Or I wonder if you're working it out and you're looking as we've gone through and thinking, ah, ah. Or is, is it the first time you've ever really considered the question? And so it's a bit like asking a blind man for the first time, how do you know when you awake in the morning? Is it raising more questions than answers? And so as I come to present one final option to make sense of life this morning, what I'm going to say to you is no surprise. Nobody got us out of our beds, gagged us, blindfolded us, put a bag over us and deposited us here this morning. You know you came to a Christian gathering. You know you came here. Even though we are disguised as a canteen, you know you came to church this morning. And so you're here, either because you are a Christian, a Christian brought you, or because you are at least curious about how, as a Christian, you can make sense of life. So it's going to come as no surprise for me to tell you that the way to find meaning in life is not through activity. It's not through anything you are going to do, anywhere you are going to work, because the way is a person, and his name is Jesus. And the truth of the meaning of life is never going to be found in clever theories that nobody can spell or pronounce, clever philosophies that nobody can get their head around or get a handle on, because the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And if you're looking inside yourself, or you're looking out at the life that we see lived before us every day, if you look into that for that light bulb moment when everything is going to make sense, you're not going to find it. Because life is a person and his name is Jesus. And so it seems a standard answer, isn't it? It's standard. You would not expect me to say anything less this morning. But what does that, what does that, how does that work? And why does that work? And the first time I came across a similar question with a similar sentiment was in a gathering like this. And the preacher asked the question, why do we even exist? And he pointed to a big burly Scotsman in the congregation. And he said, he'll know the answer. And he belted out in this brave heart voice, we exist to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And they were very sage nods. And there was a humming sound in the room, you know, mm, mm. I did not agree with any part of that statement. I did not agree with any part of it, neither did I understand it. And you know what, I don't think I liked it. Because the thought of living to glorify God, I thought, I like the sound of that. What about me? What about my needs, my ambitions, my aspirations? What kind of a God won't leave room in the equation of life for me? I wasn't offended by the enjoying part because it sounded good, but I had never experienced God in that way. And as for the forever, well, I didn't even know what to make of that madness because eternity is the thing that's in fairy tales, isn't it? It's, it's part of a make-believe world. And as I looked around the room, I thought, oh, these are such sad people. <laughs> I thought, don't they know all that life has to offer them? Don't they know the things they could do for themselves? I was the young version of our character in Ecclesiastes before you figure out that that's not the way. And I was never, ever going to be like that because I had church in the right place. Yeah, it was a Sunday morning activity, box off, tick. But you see, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
And there were three barriers to me not being able to buy into that framework for life. One was that I didn't know God. I knew the ritual. I'd experienced with the ritual of going to church. So I'd been baptized as a baby, communion, confirmation, kids were baptized. So I was familiar with the ritual of going to church, but I didn't know God. Two, I didn't know God could be a joy because he was a duty that aided my respectability. It was going to church was an activity that, you know, added to my CV of being an upright citizen. And I just did not get eternity. And I never, ever could have seen these things because I didn't know Jesus. Because the Bible describes eternity like this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, as we sit here this morning, these are the best words that I could find to say this. Either you have Jesus or you don't. Either you have him or you need him. Living for the Lord is the best life you could ever live. Falling in love with Jesus is the best decision you could ever make. You've tried everything else and it didn't work. And I can be confident of that because the only person that works is Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else works. So if you want fulfillment, let Jesus into your heart. So if Jesus is the key that unlocks eternity and unlocks knowing God and experiencing God, how can Ecclesiastes help us to make sense of life when it doesn't even mention Jesus' name anywhere in the book? And so it's helpful to know that the name of the book, Ecclesiastes, comes from the Greek word ecclesia. And that's the word that um, Jesus chose as the name for his church. The church being the God's people, not the building where his people meet. So it's written for us. It's written to God's people. And so as we, Jesus' followers, read Ecclesiastes now, in 2019, with the full canon of scripture, with the newness and nowness that that brings, reading the Bible, the only way that it makes sense as a testimony to Jesus, you can see Jesus everywhere in Ecclesiastes. But how you see Jesus in Ecclesiastes might be different to the way I see Jesus because God's word is amazing like that. As we each come to God's word, God might highlight separate things for each of us to see. So if we look at that, I wonder, it's a familiar picture. Do you see the young lady? Yeah? Do you see the young lady? You see an old lady? Who sees a young lady? And then there's an old lady. Can anyone see both? Yay! Yeah. So, you can see, I think there, 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 there are two main ways we could look at Ecclesiastes. One of it is we could see all the references that point forward to Jesus. And it's exciting. Because you read phrases where this man wrote it in his 
point in time as an Old Testament character, he noted using words that were simple for him, but as we look back with the full canon of scripture and with Jesus, it's exciting because we see words like this, phrases like this, let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. And for that man, it was about the way you wear and the way you look, but as we look at that, this is Jesus. Because it's, it's a sign to Jesus washing us white with his death, robing us with his righteousness, and filling us with his spirit. And it is exciting. It's faith-building. Because you see Jesus stamped through every period of time. And it makes us trust, as Deborah was saying, we trust in eternity. We trust its assurance of sovereignty that God has always been controlling history because Jesus was always the plan. He was always there. And it's exciting. Or you could look, you could take a more personal approach and you could look at the man, you could look at the Kohelet, this teacher, this preacher, and you could see him as a provocation. Because as we look back on history with the full canon of scripture, we can answer him and say, no, that's not right. That's still to come. You haven't seen that. Or, yeah, you were dead right about that one because that definitely came true. But no, that wasn't quite right. So we can see him as a provocation. We can see him as a parallel because there are, there are things he doesn't know. And to be honest, there are things we don't know. There are things that people around us don't know about Jesus. So as we answer him, we can see him as an instrument of instruction. And if you think that that doesn't work, just as an aside, here's a lovely story of Maggie. This is Maggie. That's my little man. Ah, that's the day he made his profession of faith, so it's a special picture for me. But Maggie... She, she won't mind me telling her story. Maggie is a, a young girl and she grew up in a, a Christian home and a Christian environment and uh, everything was very, very familiar to her. It was, God was always around. It was just part of her community. It was where she was. And actually, they went on a mission and she had a tract and she had a rehearsed spiel of what she was going to say to the man. And when she got to the stranger's door in a foreign country, he started to question her. He started to tell her about his life. And as she was responding to him, in ways that were very commonplace to her, she realized that actually she'd never known Jesus. This was all just commonplace to her, and all the pennies dropped, and the spirit fell on her. She was saved. He was saved. They cried happily. <laughs> but Maggie... It's a, it's a funny way to share your testimony that actually you were sharing Jesus and you never had him to start with. And it made sense for her in her interaction with this man. And But Maggie has a new purpose in life now, and her purpose is she goes around to share the wonder of Jesus with everyone. If you had to see this man today as I do, as an instrument of instruction, there is, there's one phrase that I would like to unravel for him. There is one phrase in that in the Bible, in the, in the book that's written, I would like to unpack for him. So when he says what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun, is there a thing of which it could be said, see this is new? Yes. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus lived, and Jesus died. And then he was buried, and then he rose from the dead, and then he went up to heaven, alive, in a body, in a cloud. And we must all admit, 
This is very new. <laughs> we have never seen it before. We will never see it again. And it is new under the sun. So when he says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. No one dies. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust. To dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Jesus. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. Walking, talking, cooking fish, having breakfast, showing off his scars. He rose from the dead. And the promise is, for those of us, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus' resurrection trumps death. So as Christians, we can live boldly, and we can live fearlessly and confidently, because the ultimate threat, the threat of death, it's been eliminated. We might have to die the ones, because Jesus did. But that option for life after death is on the table. It means that we can live with hope. That we can live with hope of more, of better to come. It means that there's hope. You know, we lose people we love. And while we grieve for their separation, there's hope that we will see them again in eternity because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. When he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter under the sun and for every work. He was onto something. It was true. The day is coming. We don't know when will God will judge the children of man. And we will either live with him forever in heaven or we will live without him forever in hell. We don't talk about it. That doesn't mean it's not happening. But those of us who follow Jesus, we, we won't face that judgment because God will look upon us and see his son Jesus. And instead of judgment day, being a threat. We can look forward to our Father welcoming us home. And so, we look forward to the day when our Father will welcome us home. And as Christians, we have read the end of the story. We know how earthly life is going to end. We've read it in Revelation. And as we read of what becomes of those people that God will judge when he finally restores justice, the heartbreak of it, the heartbreak of we think of the people we love, those lost souls, and what they will face, it gives us a purpose in life, a new purpose. Because we are on the same mission as Jesus, we are there to seek and save the lost. Nothing else that we are going to do with our time matters. Nothing. So it means that we live with a purpose. It matters what we do with our time what we do with our money, 
what we do with our energy, it matters. Wherever God has put us in any walk of life, we have a purpose. There's a lovely story about a, um, a caretaker who worked for NASA, and his job was to clean things, <coughs> and his job was to clean toilets. And somebody asked him, what do you do? And he said, I'm busy putting a, 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 a rocket on the moon. But he understood that he was playing his part. He knew his worth. He knew that as he cleaned bins and he cleaned toilets, they had a single mission. They were putting a man on the moon. And we must not forget that that is what we are here for. We can never lose sight of that. Because the day is coming when he will render each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no impartiality. It should drive us. It should drive us. And the newness didn't stop there because when Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on the disciples and he gave them the Holy Spirit. And then Pentecost happened. And at Pentecost, God's Holy Spirit, which in the time that our character in Ecclesiastes is writing, only comes on people at certain times for a certain purpose. But that's new, because now that Holy Spirit lives in us. It lives in our hearts. There was wind, and there was fire, and there was people speaking in tongues, and that was new. And it's still new today, because I wonder if you've grasped that we hold inside us all the power of the resurrection. Because we have access to the King. Do you own that? I'm coming to terms with the fact that God lives in me. For every person I touch, God touches. Every person who I speak to, God speaks to. And it changes the way you use your words. And it changes the way that you live your life. Because we are new by the power of the Spirit. We have a new life. We have a new identity. We have a new purpose. We have a new perspective. We have new power. And we have a new relationship with God. We can know our Father's love in a way that our character, for all he knew, could never know. Because we can know this. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We can know for sure that we are the apple of our Father's eye. And it is hard to be miserable for long when you know that love that God has for you. And that power that the Spirit brings means that God's people today, we can call on the wind and the fire of heaven. Amen. We can call on it and we can draw it down because we have access to God our Father. And we don't have to take things laying down. Because the Spirit gives us power. The Spirit gives us an ability to act differently in situations for ourselves. The Spirit means we can say no. No to addiction. 
no to suicidal thoughts, no to old patterns of behavior, no to old ways of that thinking, because the Spirit gives us power to do that in a way that we never, ever could. The Spirit gives us love. It means that we can live with the fruit of the Spirit. We can live with love and joy and peace. We can be kind and we can be good. We can have self-control. We can be patient. But as Chris was talking about chains, how often do we sit there and the chains are broken, but we are still sitting in the chains because we don't realize the power that the Spirit brings us. So as God's people, we can act differently. But we don't just have power for ourselves. We have power for the greater good because we have the gifts of the Spirit. We have the ability still through the power of God to heal the sick. We have power to still do miracles. We can, we can live with some alleviation from some of the uncertainties because we have that fellowship with one another. We can share words of wisdom. We can share words. And in this world of trouble, God's people with Jesus, we can have peace. And we can live with joy. And we don't have to become resentful and anxious and uncertain. Here's an interesting statement. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And looking back on that phrase, while he means one thing, as I look at this man knowing Jesus, I would answer him like this and say, let me give you reassurance. Because as God's people, we often do let off the fragrance of heaven, don't we? And people will see us and love is attractive. But then there are times we just make mistakes. And people will remember the mistake and not everything else. People will remember the old us. And they might never have forgiven you, but God has. You might not forgive you as you know Jesus. When you make mistakes, you might not forgive yourself. But Jesus has already forgiven you. And no matter what good you do, if you do one bad thing, that's all people remember. We had a brilliant surgeon working for us, and every patient said how good he was. And he made the papers a couple of years ago because he got, in the, he got involved in this relationship with Dominatrix. And it was all over social media and all over the garden and the papers were pictures of him in his scrubs with words written across that he was texting her. And nobody remembers what a good surgeon he is. When you mention his name, everybody talks about this relationship. So sometimes one act, we think, will outweigh everything. But we stand forgiven at the cross. No matter who else forgives us who doesn't, Jesus was our substitute on the cross. And so we are forgiven. And that will never fall. Because we can no more be unjustified than Jesus can be uncrucified. And so it means that we can live without guilt. And we can live without condemnation. And without shame. And without fear of recrimination.
because when Jesus died on the cross, every sin we have ever committed and will ever commit has been forgiven. And so we can live in the freedom of Christ. So you see, the way to the meaning of life is a person. Practically, it's a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is proof of God's sovereignty, his control over history. God has a plan. His plan is that we will be his people, and he will be our God, and we will live together forever, happily ever after, just like it was described in Genesis, perfect paradise. And it is going to happen again because of the person of Jesus. As earth was made perfect once, so it will be perfect again. So when he says in chapter 7, verse 13, consider what God has done, who can straighten what he has made crooked? God's people said, Jesus! (laughs) Jesus is the answer because in him we have redemption. How can we make sense of life, of anything, only when we know Jesus? How can we live meaningfully? only in the light of eternity. God's playing a long game. How can we know true freedom? Only when we know Jesus. How can we live wisely? Only if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And how can we be rescued from all of our own foolishness? Only by Jesus' death on the cross. And so as the author of the book steps back in, he ends like this, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil.